Good morning, church. Thank you for joining us this morning. Uh, I'm not the guy that's usually up here. Uh, Most of you know that. Uh, My name is Brian. I am the youth and family minister here. Uh, I've been given this privilege of speaking not just today, uh, but also next week uh, for our Christmas message. And we're in a two-part series uh, over the next two weeks. We'll get into that in just a second. But I did get a confirmation text from Bobby this morning. I haven't heard from him since Thursday. Uh, so he's a hard guy to track if you don't. If he's not reaching out to you, it's hard to get a hold of him. <laughs> so uh, he texted me this morning. He said he is in Canada and everyone is still asleep except him. And that's pretty typical of Bobby Duncan. If you know him, he gets up really early. So uh, he says, uh, welcome to Journey. He says, glad that you're here. And uh, he's praying for all of us as we have a Merry Christmas while he's in Canada visiting family and grandkids. So good for them. Hope they have safe travels. Now let me start with this. Christmas is my most favorite time of the year. It's a feel-good season. We celebrate Jesus's birth. There are families gathering. There are presents being opened. Santa comes to visit as long as you're on the nice list. Say nice. It's nice to be nice. Amen. This past weekend, we were able to deliver our goodie bags to the nursing homes, uh, Parkside and Shady Lawn. We went to Parkside on Friday, Shady Lawn yesterday. And uh, let me just tell you, when we walked in the door yesterday to Shady Lawn, it erupted. I mean, seriously, we said, we're from Journey Church, and just applause and cheer. They were so happy to see us. It was so, so warming. It was such a great thing. And uh, that's because of you all. And let me say this, too. I'm, I'm so proud of this church. I'm so glad we live in a, uh, live in a generous community, uh, but also a generous church. Uh, we didn't have to buy extra socks for the first time in a really long time. Uh, you all donated enough socks for 126 uh, residents and staff. So uh, from me and Bobby and all of the Journey Lead team, uh, thank you, really. Uh, thank you for doing that. And let me tell you, one of the things that was great about this was the Cynthia and the Cheese Store uh, did an awesome job. Uh, shout out to Kevin Ritchie and the Cheese Store team uh, for giving that meal to them. It was a really great meal. And one resident told us yesterday, uh, they, these are his words I heard him say to a volunteer, thank you for caring about us. And that was it. That's the whole reason. Amen. I hope you and your family are in the Christmas spirit. And just a reminder, next week is the Christmas message. Christmas Eve is on Sunday. So join us next weekend, Saturday at 6 on the 23rd, Sunday at 1030 on the 24th. And I've got good sources. We have free ice cream going to be on the coffee bar next week. Now, parents, before you freak out, we're not serving it in the morning. (laughs) We will not serve it next Sunday morning. If you want to stick around and get you a little bit of ice cream, uh, stick around and hang out for about 15 minutes, and we'll have some ice ice cream after Sunday service. Saturday service, we'll wire you up and send you home. That's fine. Uh, But we will serve that after Sunday service uh, next week. So stick around and do that. And be sure to bring a a coworker, family member, a friend uh, that loves ice cream, and they could use a little bit of Jesus too. Amen? We're kicking off a two-part mini-series called Unexpected Christmas, and I just want to show you this box real quick, a little bit of a teaser of what's in here. Uh, Can everyone read what this says? My life. Okay, we'll get to that in just a second, but keep that in the back of your your mind, my life. We're kicking off this series called Unexpected Christmas, and I'm going to be honest with you and give you a little bit of backstory about uh, this weekend and next weekend. I began uh, preparing this message back in October. And I committed a sin and began listening to Christmas music October 14th. (laughs) Uh, So I've been in the Christmas spirit for a really, really long time. And what I did to prepare, I had to get into the spirit and listen to this music because I wasn't in the right mindset. But I also needed to go back and to reread the Christmas story. Because as we come to church, that, you know, most people come to church on Easter and Christmas. Those are the two biggest days. And then the third being Mother's Day. But we know what's coming. We know the story of Christmas, and you kind of already know what's going to happen before you show up. And it makes it hard for us as pastors and teachers to be able to give you a message that's something new and fresh and exciting. It's not just the same old Christmas story that we know by heart. Even if you don't go to church, you pretty much know what the Christmas story is about. And so I began reading ahead of time, trying to find some insight, asking God to speak to me, through this story that most of us know so well. And again, I read this 
months ago, and I found something that I think is true of myself, of you, and it certainly ties in with this whole Christmas season. And I don't know what kind of year you've had, uh, what went on, what happened. Mine wasn't terrible. There were some things I wish were better. Say better. Better. But there were things that left me scratching my head, or maybe I asked, what just happened? Or why did that happen? And why does all of it happen, it seems like, at the same time? Things just pile on top of each other, little by little. And maybe you had some of those same feelings. In fact, I think most of us desire to find meaning, trying to make sense of life, and specifically the details of life. That I don't want anything to be random. I want everything to make sense. I want everything to fit together in the way that I want it to be. And so I can look back on my life and know that everything happened the way that I wanted it to be. And so I've got this box here, and you can already see, I had trouble opening the box last night, so I cut the flaps off. (laughs) I didn't want to hit myself in the face this morning. I've got a Christmas tree here, nothing fancy. Uh, Anna put these bows on, and it was really by accident because she thought this was going up here, and then she wasted like 15 minutes of her life putting these bows on for nothing. Uh, But I'm using it now, so it's not wasted. And uh, in this box, I've got these ornaments. This one, yeah, it's got a thing on it. Some of them don't. But I've got these ornaments. And what we're going to do is we're going to call this tree my life. Anyone got a Christmas tree in their house? Show of hands. Anyone, if, put your hands down if you have only one. Anyone have two or more? You're crazy. <laughs> you are. You're crazy. Four? I heard four? Okay, you're extra. Something I learned growing up was that when decorating the tree, things had to be in certain places or it would not look right. Now, my mom and my sister are sitting up here in the front, and my mom can tell you, and Anna can too, uh, there were multiple times at Christmas time where me and Anna would place something on the tree, and mom would say, no, that doesn't go there. <laughs> and she would move it. And, you know, we're, we do it for about an hour, and then she says, let me just fix a couple of things. And by the, by the time you look at it, the tree looks completely different. But you have these ornaments, and you put them in certain places. So you have heavy ornaments that go on strong branches, and you've got, you know, colored ornaments. In my house, we have blue and white because we're Wildcats fans. How about that win yesterday, Big Blue? <laughs> I was preaching, and I didn't see it until I got home. <laughs> so I was stressing here, too. But we got blue and white at my house because we're Wildcat fans, and uh, Bridget is a garland person, uh, tinsel, whatever you want to call it, and uh, I've never met anyone that loves garland more. So we've got these things on the tree that have to be just right. And so if we use this tree, and if you can't see it, I've got an example on the screen, and we're going to call this my life. So these ornaments I've got labeled. And there are things and events that happen throughout life that happen for most of us. Some of us, it only happens, you know, for some of us. Some of these will never happen to you. Some of these will never happen to me. And that's okay. But these are things that usually go on our tree. So we have these events and experiences that happen throughout life. So we're going to put one up there. Uh, The day that you met your spouse, we can hang this on the tree. Bridget and I met, I believe it was 2014 in the fall, and... uh, The rest is history after that. So then you get married, and you put that on the tree. I'm going to try to put it on the front here. I didn't didn't do a good job of this last night, showing the crowd last night. You get married, and you put that on the tree as well. And then maybe you have your first child, and you have to put that on the tree somewhere. Braille is not with us today. She is in Indiana with family. Uh, They get two weeks out of school. Parents, I'm praying for you. You're going to want to send them back ASAP. (laughs) And then we've got a couple other things. Maybe it's when you got your first job. And so we put that on the tree too. Uh, My first job, big boy job, was this one. My first job, I believe, was working landscaping at the farm where my dad works. After that, I did fast food and I told myself, I'm not doing that again. And then, here's your child graduating from high school or college, whatever you want to put in there. 
You have to put that on the tree too because that's an important life experience where parents are proud and it's a really cool thing. And maybe here's where you bought your first house. So you put that on the tree too. And then for some of you, here's retirement. Now I hope I live to see retirement. (laughs) Tracy. (laughs) So you put these things on the tree and it looks pretty good. There are some empty spaces there, but as you go throughout life, you get those ornaments and you put them on the tree just the way that you want it to fit. And we know exactly where we want it. We know exactly where it needs to be. And everything's fine. And I think it's human nature, not just in the United States, but all over the world, that we have this thinking that everything has to fit together. And we even use terminology, and we don't think about these phrases very often, but when we do, we use these phrases a little too much sometimes, and our life begins to fall apart. But we use these phrases, we use these terms to kind of reinforce this idea that everything has a purpose, that everything is going somewhere, that there's not really any random events in life, and that everything is connected. And we can look back on life, and we can say, everything just kind of fit together. We say phrases like, everything happens for a reason. You and I have probably said that multiple times when different things happen throughout life. Or you say something like, there's no such thing as a coincidence. I don't believe in coincidences. I don't like this one, this next one. You just haven't met the right person yet. Some of us say that. We don't know why we say it, but some of us want to say it. And then there's, well, I guess it just wasn't meant to be. And so there's something inside of you, there's something inside of me that we want to believe that everything can and will work together and just fit together, just like decorating a tree. And we really want to believe that. Even when we see and experience points in the direction of randomness, and it seems pointless, it seems purposeless, there's something in us that wants to connect these dots And we find ourselves scrambling to find good in the bad, positive in the negative, purpose for our pain. And think about this for a second. I don't run into many people who are obsessed with trying to figure out why good things happen in life. I've never met anyone, (laughs) I hope you haven't, I've never met anyone that's wrestling with why their parents didn't get divorced. I've never met anyone that is wrestling with why they didn't lose their job. Because we expect good things. We expect good things to happen, and we consider them to be almost normal. Because let's be honest just for a second. The good things in life suit our purposes. It benefits us. And we have this mentality that I want my life to be good, and anything that is good, I don't have to find meaningful because it's normal to have. But then things happen. And so let's go back to our tree. We can throw it back up there on the screen. And you've already seen we've got two things up there. You've got things like divorce. I don't think anyone plans on getting divorced and hanging it on their tree of life. Or sickness. No one plans to wake up and have cancer or some other kind of disease that could ruin your life. Accidents. Nobody wakes up hoping and praying that they will get into a fatal car crash on their way to work. Some of you have lost people this year, and there's sudden loss that happens in life too, and you didn't anticipate that. You didn't plan for that to happen when putting things on your tree of life. And then there's job loss. There's, there's jobs that we have, and they're nice paying ones too, and then all of a sudden, with the way the economy is, and things just kind of happen. And then all of a sudden, you have all these good things, And pretty soon your tree is also filled with bad things, too. We plan to meet someone. We plan to get a promotion. We plan to get engaged. We plan to have all of these things. But divorce and sickness and accidents, job loss, loss of a loved one, that wasn't in the plan. And why, God, is this happening to me? Where does this really go on my tree? 
And it's like we want someone to help us, and we want to help someone in those times. And we want to put those tragic experiences in life, we put them on the tree. Because we believe deep down that everything has a place. That everything has to fit. And so here's the second thought of that. And I'm going to put this tree down here so I have a little bit more room. Why is that question inside of us? Why do we have that question that everything has to fit? And now most Christians have an answer for that. And some people could say in different ways. But we could just say that as Christians we believe that we are made in God's image. And we believe that God is purposeful. We believe that God is involved in history. We believe that he thinks sequentially. We believe that God can bring order out of chaos. We believe that God can bring a design where there is no design. And this thing that is inside of you and inside of me that wants to connect the dots, to make sure that every little detail is arranged in a way that just makes sense, that is the reflection of the image of God inside of you. And you can't escape it. You can't get away from it. In fact, that's probably how some of you found God in the first place. Is something happened in your life, and you just thought to yourself, there's got to be something more to this life. Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He's planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see, and other translations say fathom, People cannot see or fathom the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. In other words, we long for a narrative. We long to make sense out of life. And there is an ex- there's an explanation that there's this thing going on in the world. But more specifically, there's something going on in our world. C.S. Lewis writes, If I find myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. So we assume there's a plan. And when things happen, when things go off the rails, that's when we're interested in the plan the most. That's when we look for assurance that God is in control, God is who he says he is, That God is still up to something, and so of course we ask the question, why? Because we're made in God's image, because he's a purposeful God. And we think about these phrases like, everything happens for a reason. You just haven't met the right person yet. Those phrases, those terminologies, they don't have that religious background. They're just things that we say. Now, they might be true, and we'll talk about that here in just a second. But they just kind of flow out of our thoughts, out of the image of God within us. And so we want these events, we want suffering in particular, to connect to something, something purposeful. And when we don't see how it connects, we go looking. So you ask yourself, what is going on here? Why am I here? And if you're really dialed in, you might ask this question, why do I even care? Because there's something like a pebble in your shoe that you want to get out. You can ignore it for a little while. Maybe you can walk a little bit longer through life. But there's this kind of purpose pebble in your shoe that eventually you just got to get it out. You've got to look at it. You've got to see what has made life uncomfortable. And you've got to look at it. And so like most people, you maybe never doubted God when things were good. I don't think anyone does. But when things get bad, when you get that call, when you lose that job, when he left or when she left, when they didn't recover, your faith also maybe didn't recover. And maybe it dawned on you one day, maybe I don't believe anymore. Now you weren't searching for that. You weren't going to that conclusion at first. But something happened in life that made you question what is happening in my world. Because I do it too. But the fact that you lost your faith, the fact that you kind of lost your way through life, it actually kind of serves as a reminder that there is something that creates order out of the chaos of life. There is a purposeful world, and it's not what you expected, and when the world began to fall apart, your faith 
and your belief in a God that created the universe, that also began to fall apart too. But this notion that life has to make sense, whether you believe or not, most likely it's still there. That there has to be something more. That things aren't just random in life. And so imagine for a moment. Imagine that there really is a God, a transcendent being, who is outside of our space and time, that has got the whole universe in his hands. That he has his own purpose, he has his own plan, and that once in a while, that plan intersects with your life. And so what if that plan requires a disruption? And what if your plan from time to time, what if your plan requires a disruption and that our assumption is about how things are supposed to be, they change? And so what would it look like if God interrupted and disrupted the natural world as we know it to make himself known in order to give us something that we could connect our sufferings and life experiences to? Today's message it's called Random Christmas, and there is a narrative that surrounds the birth of Jesus that is actually a reminder that there is something that we can connect the dots to. It's not to be ignored. It's a reminder that the world's not as random as it seems. It's a reminder that the world has this overarching narrative where we've been invited. We have context for our lives. That there is a story where we're not the main character. And it reminds us that there is an author writing the story. And sometimes the way he writes his story runs counter to the way that we would like it to end. And so at Christmas, we actually celebrate the moment in time when the author showed up. And when he did, there was a disruption. The Christmas story is a perfect example. When God was dipping down into the randomness of life. The chaos of life, the insignificance, the meaningfulness of life, God dipped down and reminded the world that he has a plan, that he has a design, and that history is going to continue to move forward because God is the God of history. And at Christmas, this story shows how he intervened, how he came down and mixed it up, and he is heavily involved in our world. This isn't your normal Christmas message. You've already probably noticed that already. Next week won't be either. But when we think of the Christmas story, we think of Luke chapter 2, which says, In those days a decree went out to Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. And the first registration took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the family line of David, and he was to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and pregnant. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. That's what we think about at Christmas time. That there's all these details that Joseph had to report back. He and Mary traveled. There's no lodging available. Jesus is born. And that's the Christmas story. That's what we think of. But it wasn't that simple. In fact, it was anything other than simple. And some might say it was random. Say random? random. I feel that most people feel the same way at Christmas time. Because even though it's a stimulating season, like we talked about last week, there are things that happen, and a lot of people dread this time of the year. Parents have presents to buy and then wrap. And i got to tell this story. Briella and I were on wrapping duty. Say, wrapping duty? Right. Now, if you know me personally, you might think, he knows how to wrap presents. <laughs> I do. But me and Briella were wrapping presents. Bridget was, I think she was at the gym. Uh, Bridget is a gym freak. She is strong. She is very deceptive with her looks. <laughs> She's very strong. She could beat me up if she wanted to. But she was out to the gym, and uh, Briella and I decided we're going to knock out wrapping presents. And so we start, and we are flying. 
we are going through. You would have thought that we could be elves at the workshop. We were just going. And so we're rifling through, and we got to this box. It was the last box that we had to wrap. And you have to have a tape person when you wrap presents. There's always the one wrapping, and there's always the tape person. And if the tape person's not paying attention, they get yelled at, and then they have to give more tape. So I'm wrapping this box. I get it, and I get to the last little flap to fold down and tape. I said, tape. She said, we don't have any. We ran out of tape on the last little flap of the box. And so I had to get a little tiny piece of uh, packing tape and put on there. So hopefully it's not noticeable when that individual wraps it up or opens it up. But isn't that how life happens, that you're going, you're flying, you're running through life. Things are going great. And then all of a sudden things just seemed like they run out. There's parties to attend. There's cards to send out. There's, and you'll never get a Christmas card from me because knowing me, I will get them made and I'll forget to send them out. That's just the type of person I am. But Christmas captures our hearts. It captures our thoughts. And it's a feel-good season. But for other people, for people that are struggling, it's an overwhelming season. It's a heartbreaking season. It's a season where we long to just take the longest nap ever into the new year. Because life gets chaotic and random. And it hits the most when it seems like we're just cruising through life. So we're going to rewind a little bit. This message, again, it's not the typical Christmas message. But if you've got a Bible, feel free to turn to the uh, book of Luke, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1, where we find the Christmas story of Luke's account. And let me tell you a little bit about Luke. If you're not a Bible person, if you're not a church person, I want to clear something up. I'm sure that all of us have had a good influence in life, whether it was a parent, a college professor, a teacher, friend of a friend, a other family member. I'm sure that all of us had someone tell us that the Bible was a myth, that the Bible is just literature, it's not a story. And they say things like, it wasn't even written by God, it was written by people, inspired by God, so how can it possibly be trusted? Because men are sinful. And so they kind of kick your legs out from underneath you in terms of your faith. I want to tell you that whoever told you that, they could very well be sitting in church today somewhere. Something probably happened in their life that deterred them away from faith, and it wasn't their intention to do that to you. Just want to clear that up. But the Bible, it's not even a book. It's not even a collection of books. It's a collection of ancient manuscripts that were put together in a book or a binder and the reason why is so they could transport it from place to place, and it could be portable, and it was just easy to turn like we have our Bibles today. It could be easy to turn to some of the manuscripts. And one of the ancient manuscripts that was written was by a man named Luke. Now, we don't know much about Luke, but he was supposedly a doctor, and uh, he decided that he wanted to write his account of the things that happened in the life of Jesus so that people coming behind him generation after generation would have something to be able to look back and know, hey, this is what happened in this point in time. Just like you do in history class with textbooks. It's the same kind of thing. But we're going to look in Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, then we're going to skip a little bit. Verse 1 says, Many have undertaken to compile a narrative about the events that have been fulfilled among us, which means not just me, Luke's writing that this happened in his own lifetime. Just as the original eyewitnesses and servants of the word handed them down to us, and he's saying that I got this information from a first-hand source, that this person actually saw this happen. So it also seemed good to me, since I've carefully investigated everything from the very first to write to you, in an orderly sequence, most honorable Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things about which you've been instructed. Now, Theophilus was most likely a high-ranking Roman official that Luke had high respect for, and he's writing this. It's not like once upon a time in little Bethlehem or in a galaxy far, far away. It's, it's not that kind of a story. This is a guy that said, I've investigated it, I've talked to the eyewitnesses, and I want to make sure that someone has this information because this is a true story that took place in my lifetime. 
So that's the background of Luke. And now let's get into the Christmas story. Verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, Elizabeth, who was a close relative of Mary, Jesus' mother, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, who was a descendant of King David. Now, we don't know much about Mary, but I'm going to tell what I told my youth this past Sunday, which uh, they were shocked. Mary was most likely a teenage girl between the ages of 13 and 15. Now, when we see the pictures and the paintings of Mary and we see this older, mature woman, that's what we think of, but Mary was most likely in her teenage years. And so her life was planned out for her. She was going to be married through an arranged marriage to a guy that she had never met before, and her and Joseph would live wherever her parents said, and she would meet him on the wedding day. That was Mary, and that was her life. It was just another random person, another random life, another random series of events, but God, in this period of time in history, he decided to remind you and remind me, thanks to Luke's account, that God is involved, that God is the God of history. And what may seem random actually serves a purpose. So verse 28 and 29 says, Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. And we'll get back to that in a second. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Verse 30, Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. And notice, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus, and he will be very great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever, and his kingdom will never end. We're all adults here, correct? We all understand how babies are made, correct? Okay. <laughs> so you can understand Mary's shock here when she says, you are going to give birth to a son. Because Mary asked the angel, how can this happen? I'm a virgin. And the angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. Anyone ever heard that term Son of God before? Before today? Okay. 2,000 years later, when we hear the name Jesus and we think Son of God, this is why, in this very moment, in this moment in time. Verse 36, What's more, your relative, Elizabeth, has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say that she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month, for the word of God will never fail. So there's a little bit of backstory here too, because for about 400 years, God was silent. We know this as the 400 years of silence from the book of Malachi at the end of the Old Testament to Matthew, the beginning of the New Testament. There's about 400 years where God doesn't speak. God doesn't do anything. But it's not like the world stood still. The world was still going. Things were still happening. There were actually empires that rose up. There was a Babylonian empire that everyone thought would reign forever. But then the Persian empire rose up. And everyone thought, well, the Persians will reign forever. Persia will be the kingdom that reigns forever. And then the Greeks and Alexander the Great, they show up and take over. And everyone says, well, Greece is going to rule forever. And then that empire split, and the Roman Empire rises up and says, Rome is going to live forever. And the angel comes and says, no, Mary, your son Jesus will reign forever. He is his kingdom he will be king, will truly last forever and ever and ever. And still people thought, no, the Romans will reign forever. Just like the Greeks, just like the Persians, just like the Babylonians. God dropped directly into the lives of men and women to push this flywheel of his plan. He stepped into history and said, you don't get it. This isn't about empires of men. This is about the will of God. Because God says, every one of the kingdoms that rose to power, I put them there. 
Every one of those kingdoms that you're looking at in history, you may not see my hand, but understand, life is not random. I have put things in order. I make design where there's no design. I make order where there is chaos. I'm the God of purpose, and everything that's happening in your world is according to my will. That's what God says. And so Mary's life goes back to subnormal. And the reason I say that is there were a lot of things that happened. And from what we're told, Gabriel never showed up to Mary again. But I bet Mary wished that he had. Just like Mary, our days seem to be made up of mostly random events. And I want you to think this through with me. She was a pregnant teenage girl that had no explanation of why she was pregnant. Now, if your middle school age child was to come and tell you what Mary was told by this angel, you would not believe them. You wouldn't, because it's physically impossible for that to happen. But we serve a God of the impossible. And I can see Mary walking from, you know, to the markets and everything happening and People staring, people giving judgmental stares and saying, Mary, she's a scoundrel. She's, she's not who she says she is. And eventually she meets Joseph that already has a heads up about this whole thing because the angel came to him too. And then you talk about bad timing. Caesar Augustus decrees that everyone report back to the hometown. And Joseph says to Mary, I've got bad news and I've got really bad news. Bad news, we're going back to my hometown, to Bethlehem. And the really bad news is you're going to have to ride a donkey while pregnant. Nine months pregnant. So Miss Favored one rides on a donkey for about 100 miles back to Bethlehem. And we know this part. <laughs> they get to the hotel and check in, and guess what? There is what? No room. So you can see Mary is upset. Her mind is mush. And you see her kind of slowly deteriorate and begin to wonder, why would God allow this to happen to me? And then she gets a heads up about a frustrated king. And we get to a very tragic part in the story that we really don't want to talk about. Because it has the ability to kind of drain the fun and the happy time out of the Christmas season. But early one morning, there were people in the village getting their kids ready for another day when Herod's soldiers show up and they slaughter every child two years younger in sight. Their assignment was baby boys, but the Roman soldiers were very thorough with their work. That's what they called it, was work. And so they went back to Herod and said, we got them all, but we're going to go back and double check just in case. And so... Again, they find every child two years and younger and slaughter them, ripping them away from their parents' arms in a seemingly random event of life that was senseless and have no purpose. And you know that if Mary found that out, that she fled and went to Egypt with Joseph, if she found this out, you know that took a toll on her mind that her baby was saved, but the hundreds and thousands of other babies were not. And so we look at that story and we say, where does that fit, God? Where does that fit in our story? Because that doesn't make any sense. And years later, Mary would suffer the most unimaginable pain and sorrow when she's taking her son off of a cross. And so she saw gore, she saw pain, and a crown of thorns placed on his head as they're dragging him out into the street, carrying his cross. Miss Highly Favored, one, saw all this happen. And in those moments, another random Roman act of violence, it seemed like God had lost control. And this was the center of God's activity, the moment when it looked like everything was lost, that evil had won. God actually took on the sins of the world. And that thing that's inside of you and the thing that's inside of me that wants purpose 
that wants to find the meaning of life, to work everything out for good, or to just make sense. That is the thumbprint of God this Christmas, that we're reminded that when it seems random, when it seems purposeless, when it seems like there's nothing good in life, when there's an uncurable illness that a loved one has, when he leaves, or when she leaves, when there's shock, when there's heartbreaking death, when we lose our job, we're reminded of Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Amen. And so when the angel finished telling Mary, this is what's going to happen. This is what you've got to look forward to. She didn't know the details. She didn't know she would have to ride a donkey nine months pregnant for a hundred miles. She didn't know about Herod. She didn't know about the slaughter. She didn't know that one day she would have to watch her son be crucified on a criminal's cross which he committed no crime for. And she didn't know that he would rise from the dead three days later either. And 2,000 years later, we're in a room right now, and there's thousands of other churches across the globe that are meeting in his name right now, all because of this moment. She didn't know that. And the big takeaway for me from all of this is that I'm not sure about what you believe about faith. I'm not sure what you've been taught or how it's been defined for you. Maybe you grew up in church and maybe you were taught that faith is what moves God. But perfect faith is not faith that moves God. Perfect faith is the ability to respond to these random events in life as if they are part of God's perfect plan. And so there's a thing inside of you there's that thumbprint inside of you that wants everything to fit together for good, and that is confirmed at Christmas as God sent his son Jesus into this world, this random world, seemingly purposeless world, to do something that was unusual and to do something that was extraordinary. And about 35 years later or so from this moment, there is an apostle named Paul who was looking back on his life and the life of Jesus and the resurrection. And he spent time with Peter and the disciples and the founders of the first church. And he would write letters. And there was a letter to a church in Ephesus, a letter to the Ephesians, and here's what he said. Furthermore, because we're united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. For he chose us in advance and makes everything work out according to his plan. And so perfect faith says, we met just like I planned. We got engaged and we got married just like I planned. We had our first child just like I planned. But when life handed me a divorce, when it handed me a job loss, when it handed me cancer, when it handed me all of these bad things that happened throughout life, that wasn't in the plan. But my desire isn't to move God back into the plan. My desire is to move my faith, and it's designed to help me trust God more in spite of the fact that my plan is not going according to my plan. So at the end of this conversation, she said, I hope what you and I can say. Verse 38, I am the Lord's servant. May everything that you have said about me come true. And the angel left. So regardless of what life has handed you, regardless of what you're experiencing today or this season or in this life, that thing that's inside of you that wants to find purpose and meaning, that thing inside you that says, this isn't random, there's got to be something more. It's the reminder that God is active in your world and that he has a plan. And so I'd like to close with this. For some of you, you might say this Christmas season isn't what you expected. And you might have been handed something in the last couple of weeks, last couple of months, or maybe this year, or maybe this life, that you weren't planning on going through or dealing with. And you're staring down your life and saying, where does this go on my tree? Because I wasn't anticipating this. I wasn't looking to see how this fit on my tree. In fact, I don't want this on my tree. I want it out. 
It's very difficult for me to trust God right now, and I'm staring it in the face, and I want to be able to be like Mary, like your servant, God, and I want to let it be according to your word. I want you to redeem this for good. I want you to move, and I don't want to lose hope because I just can't understand how I'll ever be able to do this. I've got good news for you. The same God that raised Jesus Christ from the grave lives inside of you. And he sent his only son, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, to die for whatever you're going through. So whatever you're going through this Christmas, whatever you've gone through this life, it was already taken care of. Doesn't make it easy, because life happens, amen? Doesn't mean it's easy, but it's more comforting that way. And so we want to know where to hang everything on our tree of life. But the truth is, it's not our responsibility to know where it goes. But our responsibility is to believe that everything has a place on the tree, whether we know where it goes or not. And we were created for purpose. We were created to find it. And sometimes it's easy to find, sometimes it's not. Sometimes we find it immediately, sometimes we find it eventually. But at Christmas, we're reminded that life is not as random as it seems. God really can create purpose from the randomness of life. He's got a plan. He's not just moving when things are going well. He's not just moving when things are going perfect for you. He moves in the chaos and the randomness of life as well. And God really can do anything because we serve a God where impossible is not a word. Amen? We're going to prepare to go into a time of communion right now, and these guys are going to pass these plates. And there is a cracker on the bottom. There is a juice on the top. You can go in and take the cracker if you'd like. Hold on to that cup, and we'll take it together in just a second as a family. She was just a pregnant teenager that was going to be having a baby before the wedding. And while we know that this was a supernatural work of God, there were a lot of people that were skeptical. And whenever she went out into the market, there were judgmental stares, there were harsh whispers, probably crude remarks towards her, and her life was in shambles. And she probably wanted to do what any of us wanted, and that was to just sleep it off. Her ankles were probably swollen, and her mind was most likely mush. And to make matters worse, she was on the back of a donkey for 100 miles, nine months pregnant. And then when they get to somewhere where they can rest for the night, there was a mass migration of people for a census that only happens every so many years, and it happened to be on that day that they traveled. And so all the hotels in the area are booked. So he pulls up Israel Expedia to see that there's no room anywhere. And so they crash in a stable with animals. And she's trying to get comfortable. She's trying to rest it off on a bed of hay, tossing and tumbling. And then all of a sudden a pain shoots from her stomach 
and there's normally cramps and then they become full-on contractions and so she screams and in the middle of a chaotic night the most chaotic night of her life there is a cry that just rings out over the sound of sheep and cattle and so there's agony there's screaming and then there's a sense of peace as she holds her son in her arms for the first time but not knowing that a few decades later she would hold him again as he was taken off the cross and then three days later we know the story hope prevails all because of a little random night in a little random town with a little random family that's what Christmas is about God moves in the random moments of life he can certainly move in ways that you can't even imagine and Jesus came to earth eventually dying on a cross because there was a gap between God and between man that had to be bridged in order for us to have eternal life and so when Jesus went to the cross that's what that was for and so when your emotions are wild when you don't even know what you're thinking half the time when your environment is as random as it could be the God of the universe brings peace to us and his name is Jesus together and all of God's people said amen thank you all so much for joining us today if you're new we hope you feel right at home and uh, these guys are going to pass these plates we're going to take up an offering feel free to give what you feel led to give you can also give to our tie jug ministry as well and uh, here in just a moment we're going to sing another song but you guys who are at home thank you so much and join us next weekend in person for christmas weekend once we're done passing plates you all can stand (laughs) 